You're listening to Leadership Loading, a podcast that inspires leaders to be continuous learners and provides insight for those making the leap from the front line to the boardroom. My name is Jason McLaren, and I'm an Air Force firefighter veteran and safety expert turned entrepreneur and nonprofit director. I'm sitting down with industry leaders to talk about their leadership traits and lessons they have learned that can make an impact on future leaders. Uh, you may have noticed the format's going to change a little bit. I've got a new intro that we're doing, and I accidentally posted that yesterday, and so that went out to some of you that are subscribed to the podcast. So you probably got that notification, but we'll be cleaning that up, putting that in. You heard that today, and we'll have a cleaned up version on the next episode, and we will start posting on Mondays instead of Fridays, just to give us another day to post-production uh, all these so. Today our guest is Kimberly Ransom, and she's going to talk to us a little bit about what it is to be a mompreneur and woman entrepreneur, and a couple of irons she has in the fire. With that, let's get the download from Kimberly Ransom. Today, we're talking to Kimberly Eads Ransom, and uh, she's a, a go-getter. I was uh, doing all my research for her. She's, uh, she owns Pittsburgh Gymnastics and Outlift, which is a singlet company, and I know what a singlet is because I'm a, a girl dad, so I learned that from all my uh, getting her ready for gymnastics and all that, and she is a fellow podcast host also, and we'll talk a little bit about that, so I want to welcome Kimberly uh, to the show. Hi, Kimberly. Hi, thanks so much for having me on. So, uh, yeah, like I said, you, you've done a lot, you got a lot going and, um, you know, I've done my research and you, you know, you, you're talking about how any topic that you're interested in and usually becomes a business. And, uh, I think that is, uh, kind of the, kind of what led me to, you know, reach out to you to see if you wanted to come on the show, because that's how I am also. I've got, you know, all my irons and my fires and, and I think that's, kind of what sets us apart as entrepreneurs and I, I just um thanks for coming on the show absolutely and you know i'm gonna roast you a little bit for <laughs> saying that you didn't know what a singlet was because you were a girl dad <laughs> let me tell you olympic weightlifting females are the fastest growing population of the sport as athletes and owners and coaches so i'm just saying that's not an excuse <laughs> yeah yeah my uh my niece lived with us for a while and she was into gymnastics and that's when I first learned about singlets and uh, my wife was ordering all these different singlets offline and I was like, what are these? Yeah. That's so they just look like bathing suits, but you know, I learned a lot <laughs> about them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so uh, you're absolutely right. Most of my hobbies do turn into businesses. It's uh, it's an issue in our house. <laughs> Um, my husband kind of teases me about that all the time. You know, can't you just find something you enjoy and do it for fun instead of trying to make money? <laughs> right. But, um, it's, it's what I like. I enjoy, you know, obviously I enjoy my hobbies. And then when you see gaps in the market and your eye is sort of attuned to picking up places where you could serve the population or you could serve the community, you know, why, why wouldn't you want to try and monetize that a little bit? so yeah definitely that's and, and that's kind of my industry is the emergency management field and 
it's a super niche and sometimes it's struggling to find clients but um before we get into like the formal questions i had a question you still have your old jeep i don't i've upgraded you've upgraded <laughs> i uh <laughs> i was listening to a, a podcast you're on and and i was all about the one you know one or no car payments and i had an old jeep and and when you said that i was like dang that's what i did and i ended up I had a longer commute, so I bought a little beater car, and then that thing, I sold my Jeep because I was like, I don't need two cars, and that other car ended up giving me all these headaches, and I really yeah. regret getting rid of that thing, but yeah. I know. It's so funny you mentioned that because when I bought the new Jeep, all I did was buy a newer model. <laughs> I felt like such an imposter because I remembered how I had recorded that on a podcast, and I thought, oh, man. But you know what, um, that old Jeep, I loved her to death, but it was time. I really ran her into the ground, and so we just got a newer model. And funny enough, that's where I record most of my podcast episodes right now for my podcast, <laughs> because it has the best acoustics, the inside of that car. So what, kind of, what we've been talking about already is you know, just living life and being a business owner uh, can you go into the building the business while momming? My wife has the benefit of being able to stay at home uh, full time. So I feel like doing my business, I'm kind of doing the the building business while dadding. <laughs> and uh, so uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. I can't remember who it was that I spoke to just this week, but they said, uh, it was a business coach and, and he said, you know what, my favorite market of people to work with are mompreneurs because they are already wizards with their time. They already know how to build schedules. They have discipline. They know how to be efficient because they don't have much time to work. So um, yeah, I, I totally respect you for doing the dadpreneur thing and I'm sure that your skill set is similar to um, a mompreneur. But I think in general, being a successful, you know, any kind of a family person as well as building a business just requires, I guess, a couple different things. Number one, building a village is super important because you can't do all of this alone. You know, you think it, it takes a village to raise a child and, and then you add a business on top of that and it takes a bigger village or maybe two villages. <laughs> um, so, you know, just building yourself a support network and a team of people and building your life to work for you um, is super important. And then I would also say, you know, going along with that, schedules are key. Sticking to a schedule and then learning how to just become a ninja with your time that you do have to work is, is clutch because you know, most mompreneurs and dadpreneurs are working between the hours of nine and two or something in that ballpark. And that's shorter than the typical corporate workday. So we have to be a little bit more efficient and really on top of our game if, if we're going to build successful businesses. And usually that requires a person to know what are the really big rocks and what are the, the big things that I can do to really move the needle in my business and be super efficient with their strategies, which really produces a, a better built business. So in my opinion, it's kind of a win-win all the way around. Right. And 
you talked about building your village. Um, how do you build your village without sounding braggy? I know like, you know, we talked about all of our hobbies become entrepreneur efforts and uh, how do you build that village without your village saying, oh, here they go again with this next thing? Yeah, that's tough. That's really tough. Um, our village is made up of my husband's parents. When I went to grad school, uh, I couldn't have done it without them because they helped me watch my kids while I was in class. So that was super, super helpful. And, and then, you know, we've strategically chosen our daycares and preschools and schools that we knew would fit with our work lifestyle because we don't have a traditional lifestyle. So, um, you know, that was a choice that we had to make when we were thinking about our team and our village. And then beyond that, you're right, your friends and your peers, you know, who are the people that are going to support you? And sometimes you have to quit hanging out with the people that are holding you back. Right. Um, so I've learned to, number one, let some frivolous relationships go, which has built a better quality life for me. And then also, um, you know, I've really just, I've learned the hard lesson that not everybody is privileged to know every detail of your life. So I will be honest with you. Some of my closest friends aren't involved in my work projects, um, which feels a little bit weird to me. And I did have trouble reconciling that for a while, but in the end, I really valued some of these friendships more than I needed them to give me respect or pat me on the back for all of my projects. So I have a lot of friends that don't have never listened to any episodes of my podcast and I'm fine with that <laughs> because yeah. I, I want, I want an element or a layer of uninvolved people in my life as well, because there are times when I really get down about what's going on or if something's going the wrong way. And it's not always a good thing to have your friendships relating to that, if that makes sense or involved in that. So yeah. I like to have some separate friends and then some business hobby friends. Definitely. And, and uh, I've had, I've had both and for the friends that you don't really want to do business with, um, you have to kind of cut them out. And I've had some of them actually come, Oh, we should do something together. We'd be good. I'm like, you know, um, yeah, you know, maybe <laughs> we can talk about it later or, you know, um, but you just know, you know, and I've had people when I worked full time that said, hey, you know, do you have any positions in your office? And I just knew that it wasn't right for them. And I have to kind of let them down on that. But mm -hmm. um, there's always those people in the in the family, even that are the black sheep, I guess you call. And you have to distance yourself sometimes from them. Um, yeah. And, you know, I've learned to kind of look at that with a little bit of a lens of compassion, too, because you know, you have to understand the chair that, that some of those family members are sitting in. They grew up in a generation where uh, working a nine to five and just having stability and a steady paycheck was, that was the American dream. And that's what they were taught from their parents. And, you know, we have to remember the way, and here I'm going off on a tangent, but the American economy over, over time has gone from people who tilled the land and opened small businesses and everybody was self-employed and then the industrial revolution happened and then you know the whole paycheck economy came around and it was more normalized for people to have nine to fives and work for 
corporations and other people. And now we're kind of seeing the pendulum swing back the other way where we're moving back to it's cool to be self-employed and okay, we're sick of work, 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 work all the time. We want to work life balance. And so the economy and the culture is just changing again. And so a lot of my grandparents and my older aunts and uncles, they don't understand what I do because they just weren't raised that way. They were, they were raised with a different goal in mind. And so I try and, you know, be a little bit understanding with them. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, that kind of goes on our next topic on building the business. You, you know, right, right now is like the, a perfect time to build a business if you want to uh, with the growth of uh, the newer social media platforms and the internet's really maturing now. And, um, you know, the people that are coming out of the, that paycheck, uh, that paycheck job, like you're just talking about they're they've got those skill sets now in that computer technology and, you know, the millennials coming into, you know, getting out of college and getting out of their first entry level job they got out of college. Um, you know, it's the perfect time to launch that. So, uh, you talk a little bit about building businesses and male dominated industries. And I think for me, I've, you know, been in male dominated industries, obviously being a male, but, you know, I joined the military after high school. Then I was a firefighter. So of course that's, you know, 99% male. And, um, then my latest career, I jumped into healthcare and then I saw I was flipped where it's mostly female. And so, uh, can you talk a little bit about, you know, building your business? and how it relates to that? Yeah, for sure. You know, I think that when we're talking about being a female in a male-dominated industry, there's advantages and disadvantages. You know, the, the disadvantages would be we don't get the automatic advantage of being in a good old boy network. Um, for example, I work in sports, and I wouldn't even call it health and fitness. Uh, I, I'm not, it's not personal training. It's not globo gym type things. I'm, I'm involved in two different competitive Olympic sports. And my jam is sports administration, sports retail, competitive sports coaching, that kind of a thing. So when we look at uh, gymnastics administration, club owning, um, and then Olympic weightlifting, oh gosh, you know, that's, that has been all men historically. Right the strength and conditioning field, mostly all men, we are now seeing a rise uh, of female coaches and females that are getting educated in the field. But when I went to school, you know, for exercise science to get my graduate degree, I was the only female in my program. I was the only female intern in the strength and conditioning department. And that was rough. And the oldest, mind you, um, that, that was rough. So I had to learn that, hey, I don't have this good old boy networking behind me. So I'm going to have to prove myself from day one. And what that does is leaves you a smaller margin for error. You know, when you mess up, those mistakes, they hurt you on a more impactful, deeper level and kind of hurts your credibility. So you have to work just a little bit harder. But what I do find is that women in male-dominated industries tend to, don't, I'm going to be roasted here offline, I'm sure, but tend to be better technicians because they listen more, there are less egos involved, and they do a little more thought work <clears throat> because 
we're listening so much. So we're learning from everyone. We are learning from uh, everybody else's mistakes and we're watching and we are constantly evolving our game to, you know, we're doing this strategically. So just being a player in the game and finding females that are willing to come into historically male dominated industries, that's step one. You know, it's just about continuously stepping up and being a player in the game and understanding where it is that you can fit in, contribute, add value and rise from the pack. Yeah, and I, I totally agree that you know, women are better listeners. And uh, you, had, you did a podcast on your, on your podcast. You did an interview with uh, Fernando Gomez. And I was listening to that. And there's a part where he's talking about something. And he finishes and you go, well, I think you're saying this, this, this. And he kind of paused and, and he was like, yeah, I am. And so, <laughs> you know, you're like, you, you've got that, uh, you know, it's that whole communication style that you learn when you're becoming a leader and, you know, how to give in the whole communication circle where you listen and give feedback so that you understand what you were talking about. And, um, I think both men and women, sometimes we, we just we want to get ready for what we need to say and go on to the next thing. So that's great. Right. And, and I will be the first to admit that I need more practice in that area. I am totally self-aware of that. I need to listen even better, but I'm aware of it and I try, but I, I will say that that, that is the one thing that has served me well is, uh, understanding that I'm a student and I've learned to pick out mentors, ask questions, seek help, um, and close my mouth and just do the work. And that has served me well. Yeah. And it, yeah, I can't, can't think of a better, hand, uh, reply to that. So, <laughs> um, moving on. So we've been talking about the female entrepreneur and, and how you've built your businesses, um, doing great things. So what are some of the black holes? What are, what are the things that, you know, can really suck you in? Yeah, I use this term. Um, I say female entrepreneurship has black holes. And what I mean by that is that I think there are certain patterns that females have a propensity to fall into when they are leading, whether it's leading a business, leading a project, serving on a, a board or a, you know, community. My my thoughts around this are that we as female leaders can find ourselves falling into the typical gender dynamic roles that we see in the wild. So I'm going to give you an example. There have been many times that I have felt that me as a leader, <clears throat> the information that I put out there and communicate, the responses that I get, I would never receive if I were a male. I've often thought, wow, customer, would you have said that to me if, if I were a man? Um, and just in business relationships that I've had with people, <clears throat> here's an example. I, I had a business colleague and he and I were texting about a, a business topic we were discussing and, and it became a little bit, you know, we disagreed with each other. And there became a point where I thought, you know what, I'm going to let this sit for a minute because this is getting a little, a little heated. So I professionally ended the conversation and he continued to text me, right? So I stopped answering him. And 24 hours later, this man showed up at my work asking for me. My employees were in the front of the building and I was in the back of the building. And this man came in 
asking to speak to me because I had not answered his text messages fast enough. And I hmm. thought, okay, so th- this is, this is out of whack. This something's wrong here. So I don't know if this is the way you operate in real life, but this is not the way I am treated by my husband. I'm sure, you know, there are, there's so many things wrong on this level. So I diffused that situation and made sure that he exited the building but I thought, wow, again, if I were a man, would you have showed up at my work asking why I was not answering your text messages? Right. So, you know, I think there's a little bit in that situation, there's a little bit of uh, some things going on with that dude, but also it, it totally backs up my point and it confirms my theory. You know, I think as women, we need to just be aware and make sure that we are creating boundaries and we are not letting people treat us in a way that's not acceptable. And to be clear, we absolutely do allow people to treat us one way or the other. So boundaries are necessary. And I think another black hole that we fall into is that we tend to not be risk takers. And we tend to shy away from considering ourselves as thought leaders. If we have new ideas, we tend to be a little bit more skittish to put them out there or become visible or let others hear about our great ideas when in reality someone's got to be a thought leader someone's got to be innovative why right. not us right right um we, we kind of create our own limiting beliefs and I, I think that we just as females in business sometimes and especially as beginning entrepreneurs we have a tendency to play small and not dream too big and we kind of kind of limit ourselves so those are that's my thoughts around the black holes that i see (laughs) yeah yeah and uh you know with my businesses my wife is mostly hands-off but i still run things by her because she thinks of things that i don't think of and um i kind of ping things off and and my daughter jokes that you know when i come in the door mom's the boss (laughs) And so, um, you know, once I walk in the door, she's in charge and it's her house to, to manage as she sees. And, um, yeah, I think that kind of leads into, you know, charging what we're worth. And I think a lot of people as early entrepreneurs just don't charge what they're worth. And, uh, I think it's even exaggerated on the female side that, like you said, they, they second guess themselves or or whatever. And, and they end up and they end up having to uh, charge less and, and then they sometimes their businesses don't make it. And uh, then it just mm-hmm. it repeats the cycle. So <clears throat> what do you think about all that? Totally. I think that it, it really relates because, you know, we tend to play small and not put ourselves out there. And when we don't become visible and we don't allow ourselves to, to claim our worth, you know, um, we tend to charge less and we tend to emotionalize money. We, we tend to kind of put ourselves in a place where we're going to fail from the beginning because what I see, especially in the gym industry, in any sport, whether it's gymnastics, dance, CrossFit, weightlifting, whatever it is, I find women get into these because they feel really passionate about either the sport or the people they're helping, which is fantastic. And that is why you should go into business. However, I think we go about setting prices the wrong way. 
I think that there's a lack of education, <clears throat> number one. So instead of looking at our expenses and looking at what we have to work with monetarily, we're going into Facebook groups and we're asking our friends, what do you charge? What do you charge? Or we're just doing a quick little competitor analysis in our area and looking at everybody else's prices and saying, well, if they're charging a hundred dollars, I'm going to charge $75. So I get more people, right? That is the worst way to go about setting your prices. What we should be doing is looking, keeping our eyes on our own paper. Number one, we should be looking at what we need to break even and then building in our profit and then looking at our competitors to see if we're in line. And guess what? If you're cheaper than your competitor, it's time to raise your prices because being the cheapest is a race to the bottom and no one wins there. You don't win and your customers don't win. You're going to struggle. You're going to crash and burn. Definitely. And, and the, anybody that's in entrepreneurship, you know, you, you get the whole line that uh, cheaper is not always better. And that, you know, a lot of people, especially business to business are willing to pay that little bit more for the perceived value. And, um, you know, because they're, they understand that they're back end and uh, overhead and all that. Um, going back to the beginning of that, uh, I think it's funny. I, our whole county that my wife and I live in is like 60,000 people. So it's fairly small. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course we support the local businesses and all that. And uh, there's a, there's a vendor there and we, my wife and I both do business with them independently on, on different things. And I always laugh because it's a woman on business. And when I go, I'll ask for something and it's always more than what my wife pays. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm like, Oh, she gets the female discount. So even though I know, oh you know, I know I can compare both of them, but. Uh, uh, you know what? That's a really good point because I think sometimes as women, I don't know if it's a, a female owned business, but sometimes we have a tendency to want to cut breaks and be affordable, especially when we're in like relationship or transactional businesses where we see another family and we think, Oh, I'm just going to lower my price for them. Cause I like them or I want to help them out. Right. So that's, that's also kind of a no-win situation because I've found that, you know what, you don't know everyone's struggles and you can't spend people's money for them or make decisions for them. Yeah. And I have seen people get themselves in trouble both in, both in the short term and the long term with cutting people breaks and giving scholarships, giving exceptions because they're making one-off decisions because somebody, you know, oh, I whatever. I had a lot of birthday parties for my kids this month. So do you mind if I pay you late? Well, guess what? Like your neighbor probably also was running short, but she chose to budget and she chose to make sure that she had her bill taken care of or whatever it is, you know, yeah. you can't make people's decisions for them and you have to stick to your policies. So I tell people, whatever you charge, stand by it. Don't charge something that you can't back up or reinforce with confidence. But also, you know, you your policies, and especially for, for payments and taking charges and late fees and that kind of a thing, it's there for them. Customers need to know what the rules are, and they need to know what to expect from you because that creates stability in their mind. And that adds value that you're a trusted business and a trusted person with great communication 
where they're always going to know what's going on and they never feel like you're wishy-washy. So they never feel like their neighbors may be getting a better price than they are. So overall, being really steady with your prices, it helps everybody, you and your customer. Yeah. And, and you can tell me what you think about this. You know, I, I would, I would, one of my businesses is doing weddings and I'm a wedding minister, wedding officiant. And uh, my only thing on that is I always do family ones for free. Right. And that's, I usually take it as that's my gift to them for the wedding. And, uh, but I've seen that usually they will re reimburse me with like a gift card or, or they'll still pay me, but it's usually more than what I, what I would have charged <laughs> in the oh, end. That's so, nice. um, but, uh, I, that works but out for you then. <laughs> it works out for me, but I think it's, um, one of them things they, they perceive the value and they, they understand that, you know, I'm going to, I'm doing it probably a little bit better than I would have done for a regular client. Cause they, they are my family. Uh, even though I do, you know, that's my whole thing is that I do, um, custom weddings rather than out of the book weddings for people. So, uh, oh, nice. but yeah, so yeah. All right. So how can people learn more about you? Where can we find you? Well, if you're interested in hearing more of my voice, you can go to Fear Free Launches Podcast. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all the typical places. And uh, you could also go to KimberlyRansom.com and shoot me a note there. All of my projects and, and things, all the things are there on that website. Yeah, uh, great website. It's real clean. I was checking it out before the show and um all her links are on there you can see her her background and her podcast and all her social connections so make sure to go and check it out great thank you so much for talking to me today this has been really fun yeah thank you kimberly well that's all for this episode uh, once again you can follow us on all the social media platforms facebook instagram twitter all those links are on our website at leadershiploading.com and our Hotline number is on there also. You can text us or leave a voicemail at 214-856-0498, 214-856-0498, and we'll get your questions answered. Thanks for listening to the Leadership Loading Podcast. You can support this podcast on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash leadership loading to get access to exclusive content, chats, and a whole lot more. Again, that's patreon.com slash leadershiploading or visit our website, leadershiploading.com, for more options.